Welcome to Revel Revel. I'm wondering, should we call you Revelies? Revelers? I'm not sure. So give me some comments in the feedback portion of the podcast. No matter where you listen, I can get your feedback and I appreciate it. Here we go with Andy Hawkman. I supposedly knew him in high school, but I have no memory of this. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Revel Revel. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. I am Lauren Drabble, and my guest today is Andy. And you know what, Andy? I forgot to ask you yesterday. Do you say it Hawkman? Hawkman? I don't even know. Yeah, you say it Hawkman. Uh-huh. Hawkman. Like the superhero Hawkman, but unfortunately, it's not spelled the same. <laughs> <laughs> so first thing to note is you are my first guest that I have technically never met. We met in high school. I, I, I remember you in high school for sure. But yeah, we did not get to interact. But it's funny how social media, you get to meet friends with friends because we went to high school together and how I just immediately was gravitated towards you on Facebook because you're so cool. So I'm glad that we're able to talk. And you saw my post through, do you remember whose post? Because definitely you weren't in my friends list. I, I had to go through someone else. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a while. We've talked for a long time now. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Again, I know very little about your stories, your life, your stuff. I just know what I see. I know you're a teacher. Yeah. I but am. I don't know I don't know what you teach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been teaching fifth grade for the most part for the last 18 years for San Diego City Schools. I first started out at a uh, I mean, always has been at a Title I schools or inner city schools. My first school was really in a tough neighborhood. It was my first year teaching. And then I transferred to a school that was actually in a nicer, a pretty nice neighborhood. And then for the last 12, 13 years, I've been at um, the school I've been at the whole entire time, which is a Title I school, which means all the kids are on free and reduced lunch. And it's a you know, lower socioeconomic background. So you teach fifth grade, which means a variety of subjects. You know what? Fifth grade is, I love teaching fifth grade because the kids get your sense of humor. They're more independent at that age. I'm the last time the kids are going to have a teacher all day one teacher teaching them everything. Once they go to middle school, they're going to go to different classrooms. So I like it because they're very malleable and you have the biggest impact. I enjoy that part of it. So yeah, I teach them everything. You teach them how to read, write, uh, social studies, science, you name it. It's you, you wear all the hats at that age. And you're at a year-round school? Yeah, I'm at a year-round school, which means that our breaks are longer, which is cool because like, you know, winter break, everyone gets a couple weeks and we're like, oh, I'm off for a month. You know, in April, I'm off for almost the entire month of April, but then you pay for it. <laughs> you know, everyone's off in early June and you see the commercials on TV and everyone's ready to go to the beach. You're like, oh, I got to hang out to the end of July. So it's, it's the only trade-off, but it's, it's worth it. I, I enjoy it. So what made you want to be on the podcast? We were talking before, I think I have a story to tell as far as, you know, what, what I view as a teacher viewing the world and viewing the world of education and how it really impacts our society. Right now, as we speak, we're seeing protests across America. There's a lot of inequality and injustice that goes on in our world. And, you know, I really think that it starts at our public schools and, the, and education. So I wanted to give maybe a little bit of insight on that. If, if a few people can hear my message and hear what I have to say and think about it, and then they can tell other people, that would be great. 
Yeah, I think so too. So tell us, tell us what you think. First of all, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been teaching for 18 years. And, you know, when I first was going to become a teacher, my idea of what teaching was in schools was from my own experience. But I quickly learned once I became a teacher, it is different than when we were growing up going to school. Like when we were going to school in the 70s, you know, you would have someone's mom who became a teacher and it was more, a little bit more laid back and they weren't necessarily teaching you like we teach kids today. It wasn't as intense. So in some ways it was better because you were able to be more relaxed and, and learn. And there was more a holistic view of kids, like there'd be more fairs and more fun things going on at the school. Not that they're not, but today it's so much about teaching these kids the skills and testing. It's pretty intense. So that's a big difference. What I've learned though, I mean, I can go on a lot of different ways as far as things that I've seen, but I could like to talk to about a couple of the inequities that I've seen. I'll give an example. I teach at a school where we have about, I don't know, 400 something kids. And there's another school that's down the street that has a little bit more than us, but we're completely two different worlds. Their school, they actually raise like $150,000 to $200,000 a year for programs because their parents are lawyers or doctors or people that make a lot of good money. And parents at my school are the parents that clean hotel rooms here in San Diego. You know, it's a big hospitality town. And I've got parents that, you know, work really long hours and hard jobs. And just right off the bat, you realize like, well, at that school, those kids, which are literally not, I don't know, a mile down the street, they're getting way a different... Uh, different things at their school than we're getting. On my school, we're, it's not really easy to raise that kind of money. Actually, I did start a foundation for my school and I've raised about five or 6,000 in the last few years, but that's still, you know, I was able to buy a Gaga pit for the kids so they can play something new at recess. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do other things. But the thing is, you know, those kids at other schools are already getting, they get gardening, they get uh, Spanish, they get an art teacher. So that's one thing a lot of people don't understand is that when they cut school budgets, in you know cities across the United States or when you know they say we have to make cuts or whatever the budget is the school the kids that are at schools where the parents make money they raise money they start a foundation and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to make up the difference the kids at the schools where the parents can't they don't get it so right there that's a big inequity and that has to do with technology with opportunity just life experience to me that's not right a lot of people don't know that Another thing, and also that comes through with like, if you're in a classroom where the parents have money, like I taught at a school for a few years where the parents had more money. And like one dad slipped me $100 every once in a while. So I could go out and, and get things for the kids. That doesn't really happen at my school. You know, I've had a few parents, you know, I ask for money and parents will try and they slip me money, but it doesn't happen. So at schools where the parents have, they're affluent, they'll buy you and pay for things and books and, and all these different things. But when you're at a school where the parents don't have money, they just can't. And they're working longer hours, and it's really hard for them to be as focused on what to do because they're more in survival mode. So right off the bat, you're talking about schools, the difference between the have and have-nots. Schools where the, kid, where the parents make money, they're making up the difference, where, and the kids aren't getting that at the other schools. You have parents funding things for classrooms. At the other schools, you're not getting that. And at the schools where it's lower socioeconomic, sometimes you just happen to have more maybe issues because of things that are going on, and you're not getting the support. So right there, you know, that's a big difference. Um, a lot of people know that. Another thing that I've noticed is that if a school is not doing well, let's say the test scores go down, they'll actually do something called um, program improvement. They'll come in and they'll give a school more money and then they'll give you extra teachers and think, well, that's great. Okay, that's what's needed. But then once the school actually, everyone pulls their act together, everyone comes together and they start making it work and they start improving. As soon as you improve a little bit, they take it all away. That's kind of crazy. You just It's hard to believe that. That's, I tell people that story and they're just, are you kidding me? So, you know, 
And even at my school, I have kids with a lot of issues and we have a counselor one day a week for the whole school. What? Yeah. Yeah. One day a week. And for a long time, we would have a new counselor every year. So one year you would have a counselor, the next year you would have a new counselor. They would rotate them. So, you know, when you have a counselor that's been at the school, they know the kids. So the next year they can just continue on with the kid. The kid has a familiarity. No, I mean, they move counselors a lot. They, and so these kids are like starting over again. They're not connected. And one day a week is just not enough. It's just might as well not even have one, to be honest. It does very little. It's, it's really sad. So yeah, once again, you're talking about all these different issues. Uh, a lot of people don't understand some of these major things that are going on behind the school. So if you want to really make a difference, we've got to even the playing field, you know, at, at schools, you've got to make sure that, you know, there's programs at these schools that every other school, now there are programs that you can apply for, and my school does. Uh, we got a ballet program for our kindergartners, so they do this little ballet thing, it's really awesome. So there are small things you can get, but once again, it does not even compare to a school where the parents donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to these programs. At this school, it's called The Big Give, and I've heard all about it, and they raise all this money, they have all these things going on there. It's just, it's just you know, I look at my school, and you know, it's like, wow, you know, and so, and then also those schools have parents that have affluence, and they'll have fundraisers, and they can have these big fundraisers where this one school in my neighborhood actually has a beer garden thing where they raise tons of money and have this beer fest thing, and there's no way that's happening at my school. You know, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah. So how did you decide to get into teaching? That's a, a good question. You know, when I turned third, I was um, growing up here in San Diego. I, I knew I didn't want to leave San Diego. My family's here and I, mean, who, I just didn't want to leave. I love it here. I had different jobs in my 20s. I actually wrote for a uh, news service uh, kind of where we did stuff for TV and radio. So like Jay Leno would use my jokes in his monologue. It was a great job. I didn't pay a lot. And I was in sales. And then when I turned 30, I was like, you know, the economy in San Diego is not the strongest. So I finally decided to go back to school and become a teacher. And, do, and be able to work on my own thing during the breaks. So yeah, I went back to school. It was a big sacrifice. I mean, that's another thing a lot of people don't understand. When you go back to school, become a teacher, especially if you didn't go through college, you got to go to a night school. And it's super expensive. And even when you finally hit student teaching, you're doing that full time and paying them and paying your rent. So when I was student teaching for six months or however long I did it, I was working full time, not getting paid. I had to pay my rent and to live and I wasn't getting paid. And then, you know, then you become a substitute and who knows, I did it for a year. Thank God I got a job after that, but you got a substitute for a year where you're making $120 a day or 140, whatever it is now. So it's a huge sacrifice. And then you're paying back those student loans, which are huge. So there's no profession where you have to put in so much to do it. And it really, a lot of times you're not getting treated Great. I mean, when you're substituting classes, it's not pleasant sometimes, you know, and when you're student teaching, you're not making any money, you can get in the wrong classroom or you're dealing with things. I mean, it can be fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's just a lot of things that you have to deal with. Even people that go back to school and get their master's or their MBA, they're going to get rewarded and pay, be able to pay off those student loans. But teachers really don't. So, wow. But you, you were drawn to teaching. Well, yeah. You know what? When I graduated at Mount Carmel High School, I got a job. All my friends applied to work at Poway Lake Day Camp. Poway? <laughs> that was the last one to find out about. And it was like about six or seven guys I know. And I called and I literally got in the interviews the last day. And little did I know that was going to change my life. I got in the interview and because of my personality, I guess I'm hoping, I got the job and they didn't. They were all mad at me, but I got a job and I worked at, I worked at Poway Lake Day Camp for many summers when I was going through San Diego State. And I loved it. And I worked with kids. So that's where I kind of Realize, like, you know, working with kids can be very rewarding. I didn't know I had that in me until I, I did that. 
and you have a kid yourself or two? I have two children. I have two children. One's 13. His name is Aiden. The other one is nine. His name is Dylan. And I'm blessed to have two, you know, amazing boys. Yeah. And do they, does your younger one go to your school? Yeah. You know, it's interesting you said too, because this year I brought my son to my school. Um, before, both my students, both my both my kids, they went to a charter school here in San Diego. They went to high tech. And it sounds great, like the name, high tech. That sounds fantastic. It was on a beautiful campus. And my kids were there for a few years, but I realized it's a, it's a project-based learning. And this is kind of a story. If anyone's listening to this and they send their kids to a charter school, as a teacher, I've had so many kids come back to public school, local public school because the charter schools just didn't get them prepared. And that's kind of what happened to my kids. They would do these projects, which were great, but I would go to their school and I would look at the projects and it was like, what did they get out of this? And they spent, what, seven weeks doing this or eight weeks? And, you know, they were not getting the basics. So my son transferred to my school and his reading has gone like through the roof. My son transferred to the local middle school, who's older, and he loves it way more than the other schools. So in the other school, people think it's fantastic, but it's, it's really it's sad. So your younger son who goes to your school, is he in the minority as a white student? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's one of the few white students at my school. Most of the kids at my school are Hispanic. I have a certain amount of kids that are, there are some white, some um, African-American. And I have, actually, there's a population of African children that go to our school from countries like uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. And here's, here's something I, I would love to share is that, and I mean, obviously, I hate Donald Trump. I'm, I mean, I think a lot of people do. But when Donald Trump <laughs> came out something about calling them shithole countries, I had to just like literally freeze because, and this is the truth, I love all my students and I have a lot of great families. Every child that I've had in my experience at my school that's been in my classroom, that's been from either Ethiopia, Eritrea, or Somalia, have been some of my best students I've ever had. The families are amazing. The kids are so well-behaved and they're some of the hardest working kids I've ever had, honestly. And so we're blessed to have those children here at our school. True, And I love working it with, with such a variety of kids from different backgrounds. So that's another reason I brought my son to experience that too. And uh, it's, you know, it's fantastic. So what, is, what does he think about all this and going to a very diverse school where he's in the minority? You know what? He doesn't even, we've never even discussed it, which is great. You know, at that age or so, they just don't, they don't see that. Um, we've never even talked about it. He's made really good friends. I mean, most of his friends there, one of his buddies is a Hispanic ch child, another one child that uh, is an Asian child. Actually, a student in my class, he's become good friends with a little older who's from the Marshall Islands. So kids are kids, like people are people, you know? And so like, we don't, I don't even notice it. And he doesn't notice it either. I mean, I, you know, I guess I'm not gonna lie. When I first started teaching there, you notice those things because you're, you know, you're in a different environment. But as you teach it and you're in the middle of it, you just kind of completely, and that's the problem with our society. A lot of people that have prejudices or racism, just because they're not experienced. I mean, if you grow up in the Midwest and you live in a town that's all white or, or wherever your neighborhood is, I mean, you're not really experiencing. I mean, it even goes with people that never experienced gay people. I mean, I live near a gay neighborhood and most, I've got a bunch of gay friends and I never even think about it anymore, you know, and there's some of the coolest people I know. So it's just one of those things, like the more you get to know people, you don't see the other things. And that's what we need. And we need schools that are more integrated. And, you know, I think our, our world, you know, our world's changing. So people are fighting that. The people that are, you know, have pre-existing conditions. That's why you're seeing the tensions because they don't like it. You know, it's creating problems because the world is changing. 
earlier, and I hate if I kind of feel like I'm throwing you under the bus, but you said that one of the things that attracted you to teaching was that you got to do your own thing when school's not in session. Right. So I want to know what those things are and do you actually get to do them or are you so exhausted at the end of the, I'm not sure it's not semester, it's quarter or whatever, that do you just say, ah, screw it and not do anything on for your own stuff? That is, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> Yes and no. I mean, I've been raising my kids. So it, it, one of the things about being a teacher and, and other teachers will, will that, that they listen to this, they'll, or you know a teacher and you talk to them, your body is so exhausted mentally, physically, especially I teach fifth grade, we do testing. And then at the end of the school year, I do all promotion. So I'm helping kids write speeches, songs, the whole nine yards. Um, my break is only for about five weeks. So as soon as I get out at the end of the school year for like the first two and a half, three weeks, I'm exhausted. Like, I didn't even want to, I thought I was going to travel a lot more. I mean, I go to some places, but you're just literally, I know teachers, like, oh, yeah, I slept for like every day in the afternoon for a week. Get your energy back. I'm a writer and a little bit of entrepreneur, and there's things I'm working on. But no, I haven't been able to because, you know, I'm raising these children, my children. But I'm, on the, I'm, on, I'm, I'm doing some of it, but not, I haven't been able to do, like a lot of people, we're always saying, I'm going to do it. But I'm working on something, but not 100%. Because, yeah, school does, as for teachers, it takes so much out of you. And then you're preparing to go back. People think, you know, when teachers go back, you know, no, you've been spending two weeks in their classroom, cleaning their desks out, preparing things, going through stuff, getting the new, you know, all the new kids, their schedules, or even when I get my new list of students, you know, weeks before school starts, I get all their names, I'm typing them all up, I'm rewriting them on all their folders, I'm doing all that work to get ready. And it takes so much time. You know? Well, I totally didn't mean to make you feel bad about that. I just oh, had I to. Yeah. yeah, I had to ask. So I went through this big detox after a very bad job. And I happen to be reading a book, which the name escapes me now. It's something about Machu Picchu, In Search of Machu Picchu, something like that. Right. And it's a travel memoir. And the author in it talks about how your body really takes about three months to fully decompress and get to where you can move on to the next thing. And you never get that, do you? You never get three months. No. Yeah. Um, Year-round schools will get something close to that. And I was at a school like that where I had the, the whole summer off. And that's so funny to say, because you're just starting to relax. And I, and I actually think that's, a, that's correct. So you're, you're not. Um, the whole thing about this quarantine is that normally, I, and I Zoom lessons with my students, but it's way more and more relaxed. Normally right now, I would have a week left before we start doing heavy, heavy duty testing. And so, yeah. And um, actually, can I go on a tangent a little bit about testing? I wanted to throw this in there. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that people don't understand about testing, and I brought this up at the beginning, is that the whole idea of the testing that goes on in schools has taken over and it's, it's become a creature that's out of control. And when you really think about testing, it's done by these large corporations. Um, you have certain companies that make a lot of the, the literature, the, the books, that you, you, you teach the kids, but the testing itself, I mean, I teach fifth graders, these are 10, 11 year olds. Let me tell you, the questions today with Common Core, the questions are so deep and so difficult that a lot of adults wouldn't pass it. The uh, standards now are so broad and they're not specific that when you go to take the test, you're not even 100% sure what's gonna be on the test, even though you kind of know. It, testing has really become a joke. It's, the way I best describe it is, the material that, if I use the material that the school district gives me to teach the kids, which isn't the, the best, and I taught it 100%, it will not get the kids ready for the test. Mm. Tests are that mm -hmm. hard. I've got to go as a teacher and find really hard material to get them ready, which isn't fair. I will just say this. If you use the stuff that the school district gives you 
it's like it's like you're training for the Olympics. And like if you trained at like a little 24-hour fitness for the Olympics, you're not going to do well. You really have to train at an Olympic training center. You know, it's, it's like getting the, the material to do that is very difficult. And it's really about getting stuff for the students that to, to get them prepared. But then it becomes a game. It becomes trying, it becomes a game to get them ready. I'm just trying to find hard questions so they can, they're familiar with. Ultimately, what the test, quest, the test scores, a lot of people look into them. But what does it really mean? You know, what does it mean for who? There's other ways of seeing how good a school is. And it's just taken over schools because really at my teacher meetings, my principal, they just all talk about testing all the time. It's not about the children anymore. And superintendents want to pound their chest and say, look at my school district. And the principals want to show up at principal meetings and brag about their test scores. And, you know, and parents that look at the test scores for, you know, their areas. So it's, it's really kind of, it's kind of ruining the whole idea of, of school, you know? So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. So as you know, the theme of the podcast is really about the stories in your life that have meaning, particularly if there are coincidences, fate, serendipity, God, however you want to you know, define these things. And right. I'm, I'm imagining that there's certain professions where you see that more all the time, you know, not necessarily on a daily basis, but regularly. So it's not maybe as surprising as, I don't know, a lawyer, a banker, whatever, because you have these interactions with these kids and these families and you have your own family too. And I bet there's some interesting intersections where you've got fate, coincidence or whatever that gives you and your character and your story meaning. Well, I will, it's so funny to say that there is something really weird that happens, has happened to me in my teaching career, and I've never been able to explain it. I don't know if it's a sign. People look at like things that happen to them as a sign, and you know, sometimes things, something will happen to you once, and you're like, okay, you blow it off. But after it happens, a pattern, it does make you wonder. I mean, for me, this has happened to me uh, so many times in my teaching career, I can't even begin to tell you. So I definitely wonder if it was meant that I'm supposed to be a teacher or I'm on the right path or something is looking out for me, but I'll give you an example. Especially when I first started teaching, I would look for some things to do sometimes. Like after lunch, I would wanna pick up a book and just be spontaneous. I'm still spontaneous in my classroom, but not as much as I used to be when I first started. Because when you're first starting, you know you're, you're learning your routines and things that you wanna do. And so there was like one time I picked up a book and I can't forget who it was on. Uh, someone famous, uh, a, f a famous uh, historical figure. And I picked up the book and I started reading about him. And as I'm reading it, I read his birth date. And the kids go, oh my God, that's today. I'm like, oh my God, that's so weird. That is that is today. But this has happened to me so many times where just I will pick up a book about somebody or something spontaneously. And it will be the that date in the book will be the date that I'm on. It even happened to me <laughs> last year um, one of my favorite students of all time, I was looking, I kept some of her old, some of my old students work and I totally forgot about this student and her family. And I have old files that haven't even been looked at in like 10 years. And I was trying to find an example of how to write a persuasive paper. And I went in there and I found a paper by her and I started reading it. It was a paper. It was her first day of school with me when she started 10 years ago. And I look at the date on the paper and it was that date that we were on right there. And it was her birthday. Wow. She it, was the, it was her birthday. Day I find the paper, one of my favorite students, and it was that day I was looking at it, it happened to be her 21st birthday. So I called her family. I'm like, I found them, like, you're not going to believe this. And I said, you know, and oh, how are you? But it just keeps happening to me 
all the time where the dates of famous people, oh, it's Nelson Mandela. That was the person that I looked at before, but it's been, it happened before with Abraham Lincoln. It's happened with other people I've looked up, but I, I don't know why it keeps happening. And sometimes my students, I'll be reading with them and, and they'll say, oh, that's why you did that. I'm like, okay, yeah. But I'm like, no. <laughs> so that is something serendipitous or something that's happened to me that's unexplainable. I don't know. It's just weird. Or there's sometimes I've talked about something in class and I go home and it's on TV or I talk about something and it's just, it's weird how they kind of overlap. So maybe you get to this, you know, this thought, your consciousness and your, your flow of your mind, you get into this connect, we're all connected. And so these things come to you, you know, if you're really open to it, I'm working with children, maybe the universe is coming, trying to come to you in some way. Cause they, that's the, the idea of it all. Right. So I, I really don't know. I mean, but it's been very weird, but it's happened a lot in my classroom. Well, I have that stuff happen all the time, which is, I think, why I'm so interested in hearing other people's experiences right. with the same thing, right? It's like if, if I were a UFO junkie, I would want to talk to everyone who's been abducted. So when I have stuff like that happen, I do very, very much try to say, the universe is talking to me. I have to do something with this. I have to share the information. Or like you said, you right. called that student's family. And I think that's so important to not just go, whoa, isn't that cool? But to actually do something with it. Because the universe is telling you this for a reason. You don't know what the reason is. No, no, yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, it's become, it's happened to me so, and I, I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm not the only one. Everything you just said are thoughts that have crossed my mind. And like, literally, when I say it's happened to me, it happens to me so often that now I just accept it. But every time it happens, it does send a, sh a shiver, a, a, you know, across my spine. Like I get like, whoa, I can't, like my eyes open up. Like I just can't believe that this is happening. I just don't understand it, but it, it definitely happens. And it's not by chance. It's not just like once or twice. It happens a lot. And I tr don't try to look at it as what's the big picture as in there's some higher universal, I can't get the word I want, but basically where it's all the same thing. Yeah. And I, I try to say, well, maybe it's not the same thing. Maybe it's that you are supposed to call that family that day. And then next time it happens, it's another lesson to learn. Well, you know what's so funny? I just remembered this. You just jogged my memory. This happened to me, and this is really bizarre. Once again, about dates. When I was trying to become a teacher, I was um, substituting, and I was student teaching. And then over that summer, my name got on the list, which is good because I got noticed. And a principal had called me, and I interviewed, and I got a phone call, and she said, you got the job, which means I started my teaching contract, which is what every teacher wants. So I was so excited. So she said, come this Saturday to see where you're going to be. So I was all excited. So the first thing I did before I left that morning was I went by like one of those, uh, a drugstore that had like notebooks and paper and pens. I'm like, I'm going to go buy a few pens and papers to get me going. I didn't know if they had supplies for me and I wanted to take notes. So I go to the store and remember, it's my first time, my first contract, I'm going and I get, I go to the register and I, and I buy my stuff and the lady gives me my change. She puts her hand out and then she puts my change and stacks it. Mm -hmm. on top for whatever reason I don't know and I look on the very top and there's a penny and the penny is really old and I look at it and the date on it is 1919 and that's that my my grandmother was born in 1919 and I've always had that date in my mind about her she passed away she was very quite super close to her so is that another coincidence that the odds that I'm going to my first day of teaching and to go to a school to get you know go start someone puts a change weirdly on my hand that I notice a penny and I look at the date and it's 19 how many times did you ever get a penny from 1919. I mean, right. Who knows? <laughs> right. No, it doesn't happen. 
And so, yeah. and I still have the penny. It's right over here. Actually, I kept the penny. And so to me, that was her way of my grandmother reaching out to me and saying, you know, congratulations. She's looking over me. There's no doubt about it. I mean, once again, it's just so bizarre. So yeah, those kind of things happen, you know? Well, just today, I have had three different people in my life, two I talk to all the time, and now you talk about their grandmother. Wow. Yeah. That's, see? Don't understand why. It's not like I did yesterday. Not like I will tomorrow. Probably the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of weird coincidences. I mean, I can remember, this is another weird one, and I'll end it here, but like, I grew up in Miami, Florida as a kid, and there's something called the Coral Castle. It was built by this guy, oh God, 80, 90 years ago. His name was, was named Ed... Escalin or something like that. And he was from Europe. He was like five feet tall. And he would take these huge chunks of coral rock and build this huge castle for He was jilted at the altar. So he's sweet 16 or whatever, dumped him before he got married. So he was heartbroken and he moved to Florida. He's only five feet tall, weighed like hundred pounds. And he made these huge structures and he would get it out of the ground. And to this day, no one knows how he did it. So I always teach my students about this. I always love doing weird stuff. And I, we do a whole lesson on, on Ed. And I show a video and the kids are all, wow, that's cool. And so one day I did a lesson and I came home and my, my wife's mom was at our house. And I told her all about this. I'm like, oh my God, every year I do this lesson on the Coral Castle. And I told her about it. So she goes home, she walks in the door and her husband's sitting there and he turns on, he's watching TV. He goes, you're not going to believe this. There's this guy on there. It's a story about this thing called the Coral Castle. What are the odds that her husband, she would come hear about the Coral Castle from me and then go home and her husband's waiting, watching a show on the Coral Castle, which is so bizarre and so uh, odds are, yeah, it's just interesting things. So I just brought it up, but it's just weird, like how we're all connected. And that's interesting, you know? So do you have any interesting sort of connection stories between your life as a teacher and your love of baseball? Actually, it's so cool you say that because I, I talked to you before a little bit. You've seen on, on your social media that I, I coach baseball and um, my oldest son is getting really good at baseball. But one of the things for me is that baseball is it's, it's more than just baseball. I talk about baseball all the time in my class and I use it as a vehicle to explain you know, just learning how to throw a baseball is, it's not easy. There's a lot of things you have to do. Um, and I try to use that to, for my students to realize how to, to be a hard worker. For my son and I, it's a great way for us to not only bond, but it's a spiritual thing. Learning how to practice. We go to the fields all the time. We've gone down to the fields when it's raining, when it's windy, right before it gets dark. We practice and practice. So for me, it's been a great vehicle, not just a passion. It's a great game. It teaches you so many things about being a good teammate. But also, baseball is very difficult. And so you have to learn to be humble and learn to forget things and move on when you make an error or if you strike out and realize that most of the time in baseball, you're not going to succeed and how you have to prepare yourself to be in the right position. So it, for me, it's been a great tool to work with my son, you know, work at different things and, help, and, and I'm teaching him ultimately how to get really good at something that all the work that you have to do to go into that. Because as a teacher, I see a lot of my students, they don't understand when I tell my students, like I used to say to my students, okay, you need to go home and do your homework. And then at the beginning, when I first started teaching, kids were not going home and doing their homework. And then I realized, oh my God, they really don't know what it means to go home and do their homework, even though that sounds easy. So I literally had to teach my kids how to go turn off the TV, go to a table, get a light little lamp, no distractions, have a little glass of water, a little snack, and how you have a timer. And I started doing that and kids started doing it more because they were listening to me. So with my son, I'm teaching him those things. Like you have to do all these little things. And, and so that's the thing. It's all about preparation and putting in a ton of time. There's a famous sports psychologist who did a study. He studied professional athletes. And he wanted to know how many hours a professional athlete puts in before they're really, they're excellent at their sport. 
to be, become a professional. And I think the number he came up with was 15,000 hours. So I did the math with my students and I've done it with my son. And what we realized, that's anywhere between, you know, four to six hours every day. Wow. That goes to show you that you just have to dedicate yourself to something and put in a lot of work to get good at it. That's been the great thing for me with my son is watching him grow as a, as a young man. He's really taking off. He's learning how to work out, how to eat. He's, you know, doing all these great things that are just going to make a difference in his life besides baseball. So you mentioned it's spiritual for you guys. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I mean, spiritual. Like what's that mean to you? Well, it's just spiritual. That's a good question. It's just spiritual in the sense that it has to do with your, your frame of mind, you know, and, and, and how to become connected when you're, when you're playing baseball, how to feel really connected to the team, to when you're on the field, your intuition, listening to your body, um, being positive, focusing on what you're doing when you're hitting. I mean, as you get better in baseball, I mean, the people that play professional baseball, they've got to hit a baseball that's going 90 plus miles per hour. It's moving all over the place. There's a lot of things going on. So yeah, for me and my son, you know, sometimes we'll take time to like go out to the fields, be alone, fields with the sun, focusing and doing those little things over and over again. And it's just, it's, it feels very spiritual to me and it feels very rewarding. I've heard baseball described as very zen. Yeah, it has the potential to be if you have the right attitude and you and you just learn to don't make things happen, let it come to you. And when it comes to you, you make it happen. You know, a lot of people that play baseball, you know, even when they're swinging a baseball bat, they'll try they'll they'll try to make it try to swing after the ball. You just have to have keep your keep still and keep steady and do the things that you've practiced, and then let the game come to you, and then you will succeed. So it's it's another thing in life. Like a lot of times in life, people will do things that they shouldn't be doing instead of just sitting back, watching, observing. And then as things come to them, then you will succeed. So it is. There's so many things in life that you can get from a baseball field. There's a reason it's an American. It's a great, one of the greatest sports. And it's got a great American tradition. And now it's traveling. You know, a lot of countries play it. And it's just, it's just a great sport. I can't say anything more about it. I actually owe a lot to baseball because it's done so much for me. I never thought I would say that too. But as I've gotten older, I've always loved it. But, you know, having kids and, and any, any mom or dad that's ever been out in the fields and been with all the kids and practicing. And, you know, especially when you win a game and excitement and the teamwork and you're watching kids grow and, and get that confidence. And when you get that confidence, it, it translates across from baseball, it goes into other aspects of your life. And watching my son become very successful at his sport now, he, the confidence that I see in him is transferring over. And does he understand that the confidence comes through the hard work? Yes, he does. And, we, and it's something that's a great way for us to talk about it. And he comes to me all the time and we, we work on it all the time. We, I'm taking him now to get lessons all the time. Uh, we work out together. So he knows, he's understanding. Like today, literally before we, I just came in here to talk to you on the podcast, he said, Dad, I did 200 push-ups. So are there other kids that aren't playing baseball just doing 200 push-ups or, you know, doing yoga because they want to get their body, you know, my, me and my son are doing yoga now all the time and he's doing yoga poses and, you know, to get that strength. I mean, no, I mean, it really is a great sport if you approach it from that point of view about your body, your mind, your spirit. He even the other day came up to me and goes, Dad, I'm reading a book. And in the book, it talks about not arguing with the umpire and keep your cool. So once again, these are things that you can learn that you'll take for the rest of your life. If you work in a, if he doesn't make it in baseball and he has a job somewhere, he'll learn to not argue with the boss or to not lose his cool. So, you know, it's kind of like there, there's that book with Zen and the Art of a Motorcycle Repair. Have you ever read that book? I love that book. Yeah. You know, with Socrates and that lessons that you learn, that you learn through that book. And I read it a long time ago. I can't remember everything, but I do remember it's kind of the same idea of letting the lessons happen and growing from it. 
And that seems like a perfect book for you because of your relationship with your boys. It's a father son story. Absolutely. It's yeah. I've kind of wanted to reread that recently. Every time it would come into my bookstore, I would gush to someone else and they'd buy it. So <laughs> I, I don't have a copy. You know, I got to go back and reread that myself. So I'm glad you said that because I'm definitely going to. I read it in college. It's one of those college books, you know, like when you're, you've heard about it, you know, and you're growing as a person, you know, and you're like, oh, I want to read that too. And I did. So how did you get into baseball? You know, it's just something, you know, I grew up in Florida, like I said earlier. In Florida, there's baseball fields everywhere. It's sunshine all year round. So I remember signing up to play t-ball and I just immediately just loved baseball. I played until I was like 13. And it's funny, when I went to Mount Carmel High School, I was new. And it's sad because I wanted to play high school baseball. And our baseball team at Mount Carmel was so good, I was told to not even try out that it was, there's no way you'll make it. It might have been true, but it scared me off. So I'm kind of bummed I never got to play in high school. But, you know, I love following the Padres. I mean, we're, I'm in San Diego, Tony Gwynn. I mean, one of the best players ever. And what's kind of cool is in our neighborhood where we live is where Ted Williams grew up. He was also one of the best baseball players, first only baseball player to hit over 400. He Literally the field, one of the fields that we practice on is where he practiced as a kid. It's a little tiny park, literally five blocks where we're speaking, where I'm speaking from right now. So it's kind of cool, you know? So yeah, I mean, I, I played as a kid and I just loved watching the players and, and rooting. I mean, as a Padre fan, you didn't have a lot to root for, but going to the games is always something to look forward to. And I just love it. It's just so much fun. So where exactly are you? I live kind of on the border of uni in University Heights, but North Park, mm -hmm. kind of where they meet, called Between Heights because it's between Normal Heights, University Heights, and North Park. It's off Adams Avenue. Adams Avenue is like a, a, a nice street, with a, lot of, a couple of eclectic stores. It's kind of a main hub where they have like music festivals on Adams Avenue. And how long have you been coaching? Oh my God, I've been coaching on for since my kids started. I've always started off as an assistant coach and I coached for a few years myself. And now I realized I wanted to be the assistant coach. It's a lot better. You get to do all the things of a coach without the responsibilities 100%. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just love getting out there and working with kids. You know, you go out to the fields and you see that confidence when a kid learns how to throw a baseball or they learn how to swing a bat and they, they go in the game, they become successful, the smile on their face. You just, it's amazing, quite the transformation you can see of children on a field through sports. I'm sure this happens with all sports, soccer, basketball, football. It's amazing. You know, really sports is a great way because it's active. You're using your body and you're getting, you know, you're working with other people. You're, you're learning about yourself. So. So I, for many years, honestly, kind of railed against the prioritization of sports in schools. Yes. The football program is actually funding everything else in a college. You know, it's just ridiculous. However, what I've also learned in the past few years is the value of what you're saying about learning while being active. Uh, it's right. that kinetic motion that's connected to your head. I read this study about if you want to think about a decision that you have to make, people say, you know, we'll go for a walk and think about it. Right. Well, so there was, you know, how they always do like many groups and compare them. So they had people who would go for a walk, but the people who went for a walk and they actually swung their arms with their legs, they got better. Well, I'm going to screw up the statistic, but basically. Don't worry, I get, I get the yeah, point. It's okay. But basically they, because they were moving more, the rhythms between the body with the arms swinging with the legs, circular breathing and just better breathing and all that stuff made the head clear faster and make them have more peace and make them not make better decisions because that's subjective, but yeah, it helped. Them. Yeah. It, it helps. Like, There's no doubt about yeah. it. Well, also 
Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, and um, it's funny, as a teacher, every day I start my day with my class and around 10.30 or 10, I take my class out and I make them run two laps and I let them walk for about 15, 20 minutes every day. And, and that's the whole idea of getting them out there, breaking it up the day and also moving the body and getting that going. It's always worked for me. But with that said, it's other things with sports too. It's a sense of community at the ball fields. When I go down there, I've been down there forever. There's so many families in the community. Now when I go down there, I know so many people and it's so great to connect with people in your community. I can begin to tell you and, and get those experiences and a lot of things, you know, sports brings people together. I'm a huge sports fanatic. And so when I walk down, I mean, when the Chargers were in San Diego, it's really sad that they're not. But, you know, if I went to the, to the supermarket and there was someone, it could be somebody that's completely, could be an older gentleman or someone else that's wearing a Charger hat. I could just go, hey, you watch the game? I mean, this has happened so many times where, you know, I sit there for 20 minutes and talk to that person and connected with them. You would never be able to do that without sports. So whenever I'm walking around with my kids, they notice this. If I see someone with a sports hat on, sometimes I give them a little, a little trash if it's fun, in a fun way. And then some, and some, I've gotten some great conversations, like a Dodger fan with the Padres. It just happened the other day. We were out getting lunch, and the guy walked by an inn with a Dodger hat. I'm like, oh, man, Dodgers. And the next thing you know, we're talking for 20 minutes, telling stories. And, I mean, sports transcends all different boundaries, all different things from gender and race and socioeconomics. And it helps you connect with your community. And it gives people, you know, uh, the opportunity to, if, when you're playing it, to grow and improve. I mean. You just have, you know, get the right attitude. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are connected to it. So that's, I'm very much pro sports and schools. And, you know, we need to do more of that in elementary schools, you know, because a lot of times there's, they cut PE and they cut a lot of the programs. Believe it. Oh, it's terrible that they yeah. cut PE, they cut recess. You know, and of course, studies have shown that sitting is bad for you and it's particularly bad right. for kids. And, you know, every 55 minutes, we're supposed to get up and move around. And kids are like prisoners locked in their chairs in a lot of places. So uh, yeah, that oh, yeah. pisses me off. Oh yeah. No, that's totally, I mean, that could be a whole nother podcast. I started talking about education, but yeah, no, it's, it's wrong. I mean, we have a PE teacher, but we only had her for, you know, we only get it one day a week and it's for 50 minutes and she's not at our school every day. She, she shares, you know, PE teachers from other schools, but they don't give them a lot of money for PE equipment. Like I told you, I raised six grand for my school and I went and bought a Gaga pit. If you don't know what Gaga is, it's like this game from Israel. It's like where the kids hit the ball. It's kind of like a, um, a pit and it has uh, planks that surround it. And the kids climb in and they yell Gaga and they try to hit each other. If it hits you underneath the waist, you get out. And then there's ways you go back in. So it's a lot of fun. It's a huge hit. But, you know, without me buying that for the school or raising the money, they wouldn't have that, you know. And so, once again, the schools are we're missing out on these kids. The kids need to move their bodies. I mean, childhood obesity. I mean, you have kids that are 12 years old, 13 years old, eating horribly. They don't know about the foods they're eating and they're out of shape already and hypertension. I mean, it's, it's horrible. I mean, honestly, it is horrible. Kids should get in there. They should be doing yoga at schools. Totally. Every school should be doing yoga. Matter of fact, there was a school here in San Diego that was doing yoga and there was a bunch of parents that sued because they thought it had to do with, they, they're very religious and they felt that it had to do, was messing with their ch children's minds. Mm. It's just crazy, you know? I mean, just yoga. You're just doing poses, you know? It's good to, to do that. Ah, so let's go back to community because you have mentioned that word a few times yeah. and your school and your baseball all seem to be in one community, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. So let's talk about what, community means to you? Community for me means everything. I don't know why I've always been this, but I'm very community minded. My, my mom loves to tell me a story that when I was a little kid, we, my window was on the second floor. I would look out the, off my bed or my crib or wherever I was and I'd yell hmm. at people 
you know, as they'd walk by, people would walk by and always talk to me. I don't know why, but that's just who I am. But I've always had a strength, a strong sense of community. Whenever I walk and I walk my dog a lot, I love talking to neighbors. I just feel, I don't know where it comes from. I just feel like that it's important that if you don't have a strong community in neighborhoods, then you don't have anything. And it's, it's a shame that I see public lands converted to condo projects. And I know that we need to make new residences for people, but we need to do more for kids and our families so that they can go out and enjoy their neighborhoods. We need to keep it clean and make it nice. And so <laughs> I'm not going to get too much into this, but I, one of my things I'm against, and I know people use Airbnb, and I totally understand short-term vacation rentals, and it, can't, it does have a, per, a place, but they're now going into communities and tens of thousands of whole homes are being taken off out of neighborhoods. Like I literally live with two Airbnbs on both sides of me. Hmm. I have people going and coming and going. There's no sense of community. Sometimes you can't get sleep. People are partying when they're on a vacation. So for me, there's all these issues, but I just definitely believe in the sense of community. I think it's important. I think that everyone does better when people care about each other. And when you know your neighbor, when you, you care about your neighbor, you know, when you have programs and things for people, it just makes it more fun. I mean, I told you I live off Adams Avenue. It's a street here in San Diego. And they have a street fair and they have a music fair. And I mean, there's nothing like going down to that street fair and walking around and there's musicians playing on every corner and just sitting there and enjoying it and being around your community. You know, without that, I, I would be just devastated. You know, I mean, I know some people that live out in parts of the, the world that there's not a lot of people, maybe they enjoy it. But for me, I like the piece of that, but I do love being around, you know, my neighbors and my neighborhood and what's going on. You know, my neighbors for the last couple of months at eight o'clock were going out and hitting the hands mm -hmm. for the uh, first responders and it kept growing and growing and everyone was laughing. We just stopped because it's come, it gotten to the point where it's, we've done it super so long, but it was fun, you know, and everyone would get out there and, and show support. So community is about schools and it's about stores. I mean, I believe that every community, you know, I see cute little neighborhoods in San Diego and, and I feel like the city of San Diego should do more. Like they should get low cost rent, you know, buy buildings and, and let artists live in there, musicians and have them and do and have stores that are more community based, you know, a lot of communities will have things called walkabouts where they'll close down the streets and everyone will walk about and go to the stores and they'll have vendors and which is fun. But imagine if you had like a, even more artists that live there, you know, in neighborhoods, like people love going to traveling and going to fairs and markets where you have all these artists and they love that feeling. Well, you can have that in your own backyard too. And so I think that we're, we're missing that. We're missing that a little bit. I think we need to get back to that. In some of our neighborhoods, you know, we grew up in North County and, and I, my family lives up in North County in Rancho Bernardo in that area. And I go up there and while it's nice, it's boring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I drive up around those neighborhoods. It's quiet. I don't see anyone walking around. All the houses look the same. Mm -hmm. I don't see a big, diver uh, a, a lot of diversity up there. So I don't know. I, I just, I feel like I, if I lived up there, I would lose my mind. But once again, I just think it's good to have neighborhoods with diversity, with lots of people things going on you know uh, you know it's funny people talk about san francisco what a great city it is, city it is well back in the 70s and early 80s you had a lot of street performers and people would go to san francisco and just love it well guess what happened you know you had a lot of money come to san francisco because of the great neighborhoods and the community and then everyone got priced out so everyone that made that community great and everyone that was great the fabric of that society there all got pushed out and it's not the same anymore. I've heard that from a lot of people. It's just not the same. So that's what we got to get back to. We want to, I think that's hopefully where we're headed. I don't know. Well, I can share from my little town. <laughs> my little town has lots of weird fairs. And even here in my tiny little mountain town, artisans are getting priced out of booths at festivals. Right. And so the nice thing is that most of, most people have bound together to create 
their own little farmer's markets that cost very, very little. I think it's, I don't even know the dollar amount, but it's not much for the whole season so that we have so many artisans who have a place to go. Most communities in the Denver area have a thing called First Friday. So the first Friday of every month, it's like a big street festival. I love it. And some of them have gotten too big. Like it's insane that people are coming from far away for them because it's a huge street party. And so I get it. But then if you go into the smaller ones of the first Friday, it is more like what we have up here where it's the tiny community. You don't really know exactly what kind of artisans you're going to get, but right. it's just fun. It's fun to get out and to mix around in the community. I don't know if you guys have First Friday there. Maybe you can plant the seed to get people to do that in your area. I think that's a great idea and it's definitely something I want to look into. As I, I really want to get involved with my community. I've, met a, I've taken the time in the last few years to get to know people in my community that are very community-minded. And it's funny because I get to know one, I know the other, and they all know each other. So it's that part of my life is kind of growing and I want to, there's things that as I, you know, as the years go by, cause I don't think I'm ever leaving this community. I love it. And I, and I get it. It is important to feel that connection. You know, I, there's a farmer's markets here, but they don't even do enough, but I definitely believe in that sense of community. And it, it, it's, it's great. And Oh, you know, what's funny too. You're talking about being priced out. Mm -hmm. I used to be like into old furniture and antiques and going to their to stores that had eclectic things. And in the last five years, they're all gone. Really? They're all gone. Yeah, I had all these places I used to love to go to that sold cool stuff. It was so cathartic to go into some of them, walk around and see what they had and furniture and, and all those antique places here in San Diego. And every one of them is gone. It's just because they're being priced out. As those areas got popular, then the rents went up and they couldn't do it anymore. And it's, I'm like, wow, it's just a bummer. No? Yeah. So let's not end on a bummer note. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, what other coincidences or fate sort of things are happening in your life right now? What What's going on as far as what the universe is trying to tell Andy? That is a is a good question. Well, I'll end with you don't want to end on a, on a down note, but I will. I will <laughs> end with like a a little ghost story. Okay. If that's okay. Yeah. Um, it is. It is sad. It's very sad. It's tragic. And um, it happened to my family. People that know me, my sister, I have a sister that went to Mount Carmel, but her husband unfortunately passed away this summer. And with while they're on vacation with their kids, it's a long story and it's horrible. Anyway, long story short, I'm sure my sister doesn't want me sharing this, but anyway, long story short is his spirit is definitely <laughs> still around. And uh, my sister is a nurse and she works with someone that actually does ghost hunting. And she, he knew someone that's a medium and he wanted my sister so badly to talk to this person for free. It wasn't for any money. And this medium was talking to him and nailed it and was telling her all these crazy things. And one story is my sister was in the hallway with her daughter and she, her, her daughter was upset. She was upset with her daughter. This is obviously after everything had happened. And all of a sudden the lights start flickering really weird, like just really weird on and off, on and off. And my sister and her daughter stopped. And then my sister talks to the medium and the medium already knew about it. The medium said, yeah, he was upset. It was the dad, you know, dad was there listening. He wanted to help. He was so frustrated that she was upset, but he, he's made his, himself known, known in other ways, turning TVs on and off, done it. He's changed channels. This happened just recently too. And my sister's getting work done at her home and the TV would just go on when the worker went in there and it freak him out. So I think he's visited me too. <laughs> You know, the light was blinking the other day and I said, stop. And it literally just stopped. I'm not making that up. It was weird. Actually, my son was with me. He didn't know I did it and it freaked him out. He's like, dad, what was that? So that is really kind of a weird thing. So the universe is, there's definitely something on the other side. And, uh, you know, what it is, I don't know. 
So this has been happening since last summer? Yeah, it's been happening for about, uh, yeah, this will be a year at the end of the summer. But yeah, it's been other crazier things that have happened too. I mean, he's made himself known in different ways, 100%. It's spooky. It is It is weird. No doubt about it. So the universe does speak to you. When you, when you say that to me, it's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, I'm sure other people have interesting stories that are like that. I can go on and on about this. I don't want to get too much further deeper into it because there are other crazy things that he's done. I will end with this too, but I actually was talking to someone that I knew that was a medium and I don't know them. I've never met them, but I've talked to them through the internet and they said to me, he's with me and they've never been in my man cave. And I said, okay, well, if he's here with me, you tell me what he's telling you. What does he sees? And they described everything, like everything. Like by the time they got to the sixth or seventh thing that they described to me, I literally freaked out. I had like goosebumps. I'm like, yep, you nailed it. And it was no coincidence. So there's something going on. So the universe talks to you. You just got to keep you, like I was saying, like in the beginning of the podcast, these dates were coming to me and all these weird things with like coincidences. And then there's this. And, you know, if you're open to it and you're listening and noticing things, they're there, you know. And that's the thing. If we're closed off, we won't notice things. We won't be interacting with our community, with the universe, even with ourselves, you know. So I do have a tangent that will help us end on your story because you said that he died while they were on vacation. Yeah. Where were they? You know what? They were on a cruise. It was horrible. Yeah. They were on a cruise to Alaska. Oh, Alaska. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's tragic, but even the medium told her, I think it was on, it was on water. And he's like, yep, it was on water. And they, they nailed that. So, yeah. So my tangent is my good friend, Barbara, who was in my book group for a few years. She was a physical therapist professionally, and then I guess mainly retired. And she was going into yoga as a practitioner and then to become a a teacher, a leader of it. And she had been on that path for a while, was going to different retreats and stuff. And she went down to Costa Rica I believe last April. Mm -hmm. And apparently this is a thing that riptides are terrible in Costa Rica. I had never heard that before. I don't think she had heard it. I don't know anyone who knew it before she went and got caught and got pulled out and drowned. Oh my God. Horrible. Jeez. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And I'm saying it's a good thing, but we'll get to that. Um, Right, right. So So of course, she's there on this retreat and you're not really supposed to have a lot of communication. And her friend who was with her tries to get a hold of Barbara's husband. And I don't remember the story about exactly why they couldn't get a hold of him, but there became like a phone tree kind of a situation between everybody in our book group trying to say, how do we get a hold of him? Why can't anyone get a hold of him to let him know what happened? So you start freaking out about, oh my God finally get a hold of them and then they have to deal with the whole getting the body back from international and blah 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 and we had we had the most amazing outpouring of love not just from our book group but we found out that she was in a whole bunch of different groups another book group a ukulele group and so many people because she was invested in her community in these ways came out to celebrate her life and to tell stories and support the family. And we all did food for a while and everything, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some people who couldn't go to the memorial. And so we had like our own little mini one at our book group. And we talked about Barbara's stories and what we learned from her. Anyway, we were going around and everyone had some lovely stories. And one of the stories that really hit home was that how, how she would react when she loved a story. I'm not 
I'm not going to do an imitation because it's not like you're newer anyway, but everyone was doing like little Barbara isms right, right. when they were telling her stories. And one of the things that she really, really loved and would talk about to everyone, and, and I mean everyone, and start talking about, oh my God, this podcast I just heard. Oh my God, this podcast I just heard. Right, right, right. We all knew that she loved podcasts and she would get on my case about, why don't you listen to podcasts? Why don't you listen? I, I, I literally had no good answer. I didn't know. I just had never gotten into him. And because she passed, I said, you know, I'm going to start listening to some podcasts. I didn't do it systematically. There's only one that I can't even remember. She recommended by name. It's the Moth podcast where they tell stories. So anyway, I think about her so much now. Mm. I think about her now more than she's that she's dead than I ever did when I saw her in person. Right. Isn't that weird? No, it's not. No, it's yeah. not. She had a, a profound effect on it's you know, <laughs> it's actually interesting because that's how I feel as a teacher, you know, like you wonder sometimes like what kind of impact because the kids leave. And so you're in someone's life for a certain window of time and yet now that she's gone and then you you thought about her, she had a message, you know, and, and it, it inspired you. And and that's you know that's the whole idea of life, right? And as a teacher or as a friend, you know, you're in a book group with her and she that was her gift to you ultimately. And I get it. You know, I you know, there's people that I've met that I've met that have passed away. There's things that they taught me and now I think about them to this day. You're always thinking about them, you know, and the things that they're the whether they're the way they lived or something they said or something they did, and then they're gone and it's just like wow, that just kind of remains. You know, they're gone, but they really do stay. They're remaining. You know, they're in you. And uh, thank you for sharing that. And you know, actually, I've been I've listened to podcasts, but now doing this one, I, I've always wanted to start my own podcast myself and with my students. And I, I definitely through from her through you to me. Now I'm going to start listening to a lot more podcasts because I definitely I totally enjoy listening to them. I just haven't been focusing enough about doing it. But thank you because that's going to get me kind of on that track too. <laughs> Well, cool. And I'll help you in any way I can, Yeah. especially since it is a struggle in a lot of ways, but also because I want it to be something that the kids love. That would be awesome. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the Revel Revel podcast. I've enjoyed getting to know the real Andy and not just <laughs> social media snippets, you know? Yes. Well, if you notice me on social media, I'm always trying to make people laugh. I'll put stuff politically or a little bit here and there, but most of my stuff that I do is to make, if I can give someone a smile, you know, make someone laugh a little bit during their day, that's what I I do. I'm sure some people see my things. I mean, most people seem to laugh a lot of my stuff, but I'm sure some people judge you go, oh, you know, da, da, da. But I honestly, I just go on there with, has nothing to do with me. I just want to make laugh. So I'm glad that we're able to connect in a different way other through social media, but I've always enjoyed you talking to you through, you know, all different forms of social media. You're an awesome person. I'm, it's, I'm glad I got an opportunity also to speak to you because you're great. Well, thank you. And I would love to give whoever was that mutual friend the recognition, but we don't know who it is. So, oh, well, right. yeah. All right. Well, you take care, my good man. You too, very much. Thank you, Andy. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So that was Amy Hawkman. This episode is going to be dedicated to my book group, particularly Jackie, who always listens to the audio. No Barb had a lot of the same interest and is also a teacher. So I think this is going to resonate with her. I hope that you have enjoyed learning a little bit about Andy, 
what's going on in the teaching world and have been inspired to follow up on some of the links I'm going to provide as always below the actual podcast. But there will be a delay on that just to let you know. I'm going to publish the episode before I am able to provide all the links. So if you don't see a whole bunch of links about Andy and his school and everything right now, just come back later, please. And we will see you next time with my cousin Terry.